Hi, welcome to Claybrook Chats with Barb. As we sit here in Claybrook and chat, I will introduce you to some of my creative and interesting friends who live in a small community in Northeastern Ohio. Hopefully as we chat, you'll learn something new or educational, maybe humorous, but always positive. My goal is to have you pause at the end and say, wow, I didn't know that. And just maybe you will tell some of your friends and family about it and come back and listen to my next Claybrook chat. Talk to you later. Bye. Today, I am thrilled to chat with Tom Britton. Tom is the owner of Britton Motors Chevrolet here in East Palestine. Tom is the third generation of the Britton family who have owned and operated Britton Motors for the past 98 years. Well, hi, Tom. Thank you for coming to chat with me today. And today we're going to talk about a long established business, as a matter of fact, 98 year old business in East Palestine called Britton Motors. And you are Tom Britton, which obviously you are a member of the family. So why don't we start out with you telling us a little bit about the history of Britton Motors? All right. My grandfather, Clyde, started the business in 1925. And uh, prior to that, he was a postal carrier down in uh, Negley. My, my dad was born in Negley, and my mother's family basically came from down in the Pennsylvania area around uh, Enon and Darlington. So it, it's kind of a, a deal where we've always been in this area. Uh, we moved into, or my grandfather moved into a house on Clark Street, which has uh, just been removed, but it, our original building is still there right beside the fire station. That was a small building, but it in how it encompassed the showroom, the parts room, the service room, the body shop, everything in one itty bitty building, which was connected with a uh, door between uh, between uh, the business and the house so they could get up from the kitchen table and walk through a door and take two steps down. They were at work inside the building and uh, it was very small and there was five kids and, and the house probably all together, it was a two-story wooden house, probably wouldn't have had 600 square feet of a very small house. And uh, that was like that until 1936 when they bought the house across the street uh, and they moved into that house and it's a much larger house. It's still there and uh, it's uh, being used right now. But uh, uh, from that point uh, in 1925, it was just a continuous learning thing. And as the, the family got older, everybody in the family worked at the dealership uh, from the oldest to the youngest. And uh, my aunt would work in the offices and bookkeeping. And uh, my uncles would work in the, the shop and service. And, and uh, you were expected to be there until noon. And that's when grandma had lunch on the table and you were expected to be there too. But uh, yeah, it, continued on uh, from that small point. Uh, when we bought it, it was an existing building, uh, or actually an existing business franchise from General Motors. And uh, we had purchased it uh, in 1925 uh, from the previous owner. And I have the original uh, purchase agreement on a piece of legal paper, handwritten by attorney John Bocknick. Oh. 
John Bocknick was probably a teenager at that time in 1925, but he was an attorney. He signed the, the document and it listed everything that was included in the sale, which was uh, all the way down to some used parts, nuts, bolts, two used cars, two new cars, and the total purchase price was $2,580 for the whole business in 1925. Oh my goodness. Yes, what it, a deal. It is. <laughs> and uh, it was it was quite a small venture at that time because actually in 1925, there was even most of the houses in Palestine didn't have normal electric service. I mean, everybody still had gas lamps and it was a, it was a, a beginning up and coming thing, you know, going from the the horse drawings, et cetera, because they were still delivering coal at that time on horses and, and wagons. So it was, uh, it was the early days. Uh, there was a lot of things weren't invented during that period of the, the twenties and, you know, all the way through the depression. But, uh, as far as, uh, the, the, the that business, uh, the Chevrolet business, uh, uh, we were in that, uh, all the way through the depression, as I just mentioned. And during the depression, we were having problems getting cars and getting uh, anything, uh, any parts and uh, try to keep all of uh, our employees uh, on spot and find things for people to do. And at that time, uh, we even uh, worked with the school district. Our employees would get up and come to work early in the morning and drive school buses and pick up kids to stay busy and to generate money. So the business was into the school bus business, I guess, during that period of time. And uh, we did everything from hauling uh, materials, even coal and wood and stuff, because we had trucks and drivers. But uh, it was it was a tough go. And it was, I guess, we we're very fortunate uh, to be able to, to live through that era without losing anybody or any uh, any business. But uh, after that, in 1935, we became a Pontiac dealer and we had Pontiac all the way through until Obama got there. And and uh, that was 70 years we were a Pontiac dealer. And uh, it was actually 75 years. And uh, it was uh, a really a good business. We enjoyed our Pontiacs and, and uh, sport cars, etc. that Pontiac was up with. And you know, enjoyed our Trans Ams and our GTOs and all of the, the, the great cars of, of that era. And, uh, of course, uh, things have, things continually change. And uh, it was uh, the family during that era, uh, as they grew older, uh, my father or my grandfather, Clyde, bought the Chevrolet garage in uh Columbiana became a partner with uh, a, a man named Harry Everhart, and they had it until 1974. Uh, Harry left a little earlier than that, but uh, my grandfather owned the Chevy garage there, and, and uh, uh, 1962, uh, my father and my uncle Harold took over the Chevy dealership here, and grandpa and my uncle Urban he moved up to uh, the Columbiana garage and, and moved his family to Columbiana. Uh, my aunt Ina, uh, she ended up marrying Doc Hartford. Uh, she was the bookkeeper and uh, Uncle Bill worked at our place. And, and of course, as my dad did, 
after after the war, Dad came back from World War II, and uh, he worked at the garage ever since. But uh, we've had we've had quite a quite a history on some of the old things. Uh, for example, were wrecker service. At one time, we had the only wrecker service between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and that was back in the '30s, uh, before wrecker service became a a thing. Uh, you were kind of on your own if you broke down in the middle of nowhere when there was no super highways and there was no businesses around to help you. But uh, we had a wrecker service and I've always had some kind of a wrecker almost uh, from that early 30s era. But roads probably weren't as good either. No, I, I'll give you a quickie on the roads. This is crazy. Uh, the uh, vacation, the only one I could find pictures of, which I, I have a picture of my grandfather and a big touring car. It's like a 1929 uh, car and big wooden wheel job. He loaded the family up with another uh, family from down the street, the Booth family. They went on a vacation to go to uh, Niagara Falls. And uh, the note that uh, I have on a postcard said, it was a great trip. It only took us three days to get there. Oh my goodness. Now I got there in three and a half hours. Right. And of course I was probably speeding, but the idea is we had highway highways and there was no major highways, no four lanes, and you were all country roads and and uh just trying to get there, uh and you know, rough dirt roads. But uh the other thing that's amazing is there was no such thing as car carriers when we started our business. They didn't deliver them uh, by semis. There was no such thing. And if we wanted cars, we had to uh, load up uh, a bunch of friends and relatives in uh, a big old car and drive to Detroit. And when you got there, you picked out what you wanted that was sitting in the lot. You paid for them right there. And then you drove them home. Oh my that's, goodness. <laughs> that's how you got your inventory. And we think we have logistic problems now. It was wow. terrible then. But uh, as I said, you loaded up the family. My Uncle Harold, when he was 12 years old, drove back by himself from Detroit oh my God. on country roads. <laughs> so, you know, he that was back in the 30s. So, I mean, you were you were kind of forced to grow up pretty soon, you know, or pretty fast wow. when you were in my family, I guess. And that's definitely a G. I didn't know they did that. Uh, well, but you, you uh, don't think about it. You just no, assume no. that they brought the cars to you. Exactly. Our, our, uh, some of the stories you hear, it's just sidelines here and there. And, uh, they thought it was just normal. And to us, it's amazing that you could exist like that. The, uh, the accounting that my grandmother did, she had a kitchen table that slid apart. And, you know, the leaves for the table when the whole family, you'd have like Thanksgiving, were underneath. Well, she had a bowl underneath where it split open. And at the end of the day, the money that you made, she opened the table up and she put it in that crack and there was a bowl under there. And that was the money. That was where you saved your money, put the table together. And at the end of the month, you went and paid your bills. Uh. <laughs> so that's, that's how that it's worked. Basic accounting. <laughs> yes, basic accounting. Yeah. So, um for people like me that don't really understand about franchises, um, the, the big car companies like General Motors then buys smaller companies or creates other divisions. Yes. Is that how they do that? Back in the early uh, 
teens, uh, 2015, etc. Chevrolet, the Durant brothers came up with an emblem. It was a, on a, uh, I, I believe it was a curtain. It was a Chevrolet emblem. They used that as their development of, a, of, of an automobile. And that was where Chevrolet was born. Pontiac was another division. Cadillac was, was a, a separate make. And all at once they started bringing these smaller companies together and making a corporation of certain uh, vehicles together. Uh, same as they did in Chrysler Corporation, there was a Dodge. The Dodge brothers had their own thing. And then at one time they developed uh, an idea of saying, let's bring Plymouth in. So it was a Chrysler uh, garage with Chrysler Plymouth garage. When they brought in Chrysler, there's Chrysler, Plymouth, and Dodge were basically in that grouping. Uh, Ford and, you know, all the names that went together, uh, they didn't just come up with a franchise as it started. Some, most of these in the early days were their own businesses and they merged uh, Mercury, uh, Ford, uh, et cetera. Uh, I believe that was also one, but uh, I, I'm well aware of like the Dodge brothers had quite a, a deal. There was one of the earliest cars ever made during that period of time was made in Youngstown. And the original number one car that was made in Youngstown, and it had its own make, it was manufactured there, uh, is uh, now owned uh, by uh, Doc Snyder up in New Springfield. Uh, it was uh, owned uh, earlier that by a fellow up on Route 7. But uh, there, there was many, many, many different manufacturers out there. And when they combined, they could combine their forces on, uh, like Ford did, you know, uh, Henry Ford actually even built his own steel mill because he didn't want to pay the rates that everybody was going to charge him. He went down to South America and Africa, I think it was too, but uh, yeah, I think it was. He went to Africa, started his own rubber plantation. And so he was, man uh, he was getting his own rubber to manufacture his own tires. And of course, that's when he and Firestone became friends and, you know, one thing led to another and Thomas Edison got in the game and he used to come up to where I live now in the backyard right off of Route 14. And they, my grandfather would wave to him as they walked down the street together. They were best of friends. And, you know, I, I just, you know, would have been so wonderful if my grandfather would have had his picture taken with the three most oh, important men in the world. Wow, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, they used to hang out up there. That was their vacation spot. It was Columbiana. It was Columbiana. Right. Wow, we're, st we're somewhat famous, huh? Actually, yes. <laughs> There's another thing that I was told, and and, and this is kind of uh, uh, two different people told me this story, that uh, when McGraw Tire and Rubber was in East Palestine, and, you know, it was one of the largest manufacturers of tires, you know, in the United States, uh, they were working three shifts uh, continually on this factory, and uh, they would rent beds out for eight hours because each time there was a shift, the, the guy would get out of bed and the next guy would have to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. He only got eight hours because the next guy was coming in. But during that period of time, they were so successful and, and tires and, and cars during that period of time were growing very, very quickly and, and business was booming. Um, there was a couple of uh, tire uh, executives that uh, were on a train heading from Pennsylvania, heading uh, west. And uh, they thought that East Palestine, uh, one of them suggested East Palestine is becoming 
the top manufacturing place for all of the rubber. And uh, they said, well, we'll think about that. Well, they headed out and they got to Akron. Akron became the rubber capital of the world. Mm -hmm. It almost was East Palestine. Wow. <laughs> Too bad they changed their mind. Exactly. Exactly. Although I kind of like a small town. Yeah, it has its advantages. We have some good things going on yes. here. So um, what do you see as the future of cars? Um, you know, the models have changed. That I remember Finns. Remember the big 57 Chevys, 59 Cadillacs. You know, <laughs> my dad liked those Finns, you know. Yes. But um, as far as the design and the, and the future of the, the cars that are coming up. Well, the design of cars has been taken over by the people who are very conservative on making sure that you get the maximum gas mileage. Uh, there's there's no more headlight buckets anymore. They're molded into your fenders, so there's no air drag. Your fenders are smooth, and the car is designed like a bar of soap, so it goes goes through with no friction and has better gas mileage. Uh, that's the reason that they did away with spare tires in some cars and went to minimum uh, what we used to call the uh, save spares, the small tires. They figured if they made them half the size, uh, then it would, uh, you multiply that by 12, 000, or 12 million cars a year, uh, the savings would be uh, hundreds of thousands of barrels of, of oil on saving for gasoline and et cetera, because that's just that much weight that you have to haul around and less drag on everything. But to go to your question on the future, you know, uh, automobiles are, you know, kind of phasing themselves out a little bit because of the uh, crossover ideas to try to get people into uh, the sedan idea, but with the crossover utility, uh, opening it up easier to get in and out of. Uh, your seat seems to be a little higher. Uh, you can open the back up and haul things much easier. And the visibility is pretty good. And that seems to be the... Uh, direction that most all of the manufacturers are going. The biggest change is going to be the, the uh, alternative fuel systems. Uh, they're calling now for all of the automobiles to be electric by 2036 or 2035. And of course, in California, which is, you know, they're out in left field somewhere, they're expecting that to happen in the next three years, but they don't have enough, enough electricity out there right now to run their air conditioners, let alone charge all their cars. Uh, they're nutcases because they're even saying they don't want any combustible engines. They're going to outlaw the sale of combustible en engines, uh, internal combustion engines uh, uh, in the whole state. But uh, it can't happen. There's not enough power systems. So when I say go to alternative fuels, I'm thinking uh, the most abundant one we have in, in the United States is natural gas, has a small, smaller amount of any kind of emissions emissions. And uh, hydrogen is going to be the cleanest because when you use hydrogen cells, the only byproduct of that is water. So there's zero emissions on that. Uh, nuclear uh, is another uh, game that they're trying to play right now. Uh, that could happen. But uh, some of this electric stuff that is a hybrid electric is a great idea. And I believe in, in, in some I, uh, of that. But uh, I just can't imagine, you know, uh, right now we're not even close to being able to handle uh, electric vehicles. There's not enough charging stations and there's not enough distance. Uh, if somebody wants to haul their camper down to Florida, 
uh, they're going to have to have three days extra to stop and charge their vehicle all the way because the more you haul, the less efficient electricity is. So I don't think that's going anywhere as quickly as people think uh, it's going to go. And the acceptance of this thing, uh, 5% of the United States is considering or has bought electric right now. And um, I think those must be more of the inner city people and people that don't drive more than a few miles a day. Uh, it would be a savings to them and a convenience to charge it at home. But then people think that electricity is, is a way to save money. You still have to pay an electric bill and your bill's going to go quite a bit higher when you're trying to charge an electric car versus a, you know, a trip to the, to the fuel station. Uh, gasoline's going to be uh, available. And of course, we're talking about gas is, is a dollar and a half cheaper than it was a year ago right now. And I hope that continues. But, uh, you know, as far as the future of the business, the, uh, everybody likes their, their trucks and their SUVs. And uh, I, I think that there's uh, going to be a continuation of that kind of, of uh, desire by people uh, with this, this market. But I don't think we're going to go to itty bitty electric cars like little wee scooters and stuff, <laughs> except for people that just want to go to the post office. Right. But uh, yeah. we that's, still that's a, need those vehicles to yes. get to places. So. Yes. Um, one of the things that Britain Motors has been well known for in our community is your support of community involvement. And I personally want to take time to thank you and your family and your ancestors and everyone for all of the support that you have given to the, you know, the area. Um, you know, I've grown up here and there have been Britain Motors baseball and softball teams and and support for the scouts and support for the police and the fire department, the fireworks each year and the youth programs and the golf outings and the it, when people needed things, they knew they could count on you. Um, that mural on the wall that you had painted by uh, the insurance company. I park there all the time when I get downtown and I see your your uh, logo up there and it still looks so good. Yes. But um, we, we just really appreciate everything that you have done. And, and most recently, the water and the supplies after the train derailment. But we don't want to talk about that too much. So <laughs> uh, everybody's heard it enough. Yeah. Um, one of the things that when I was doing a little bit of research, I was on in the computer and on eBay, they are actually selling a matchbook cover from Britain Motors, Chevrolet, East Palestine, with a 30 strike matches, however, the, some of them were used for $3.99. And I just thought, isn't that unusual? And there's a picture of it. So I will be posting this on uh, my, my Claybrook Chats Facebook page in case anybody wants to see it. But um, do you have any more of those? Because you could probably sell them for less than $3.99. Plus it was $3.99 and $1.25 to have it shipped to them. We, we have... Uh some that are quite a bit older than that. And actually the Pontiac ones were really cool because when we passed out matches at that time, as we did showroom materials, when we had our model changes, Pontiac had the color of the cars. So your the color that was your matchbook, you could get a car in that color. Oh. So if you picked up a, you know, a blue matchbook, you could say, now that's the color I want my next one, or here's a red <laughs> one or, or a white one, et cetera. But all the colors that we made were on matchbooks. 
And they were actually almost exactly the same as the color of the car when it came in. What a good marketing plan. Very good. Yeah. The other things we used to give away at Showtime, and of course, Showtime was a thing of the past, but it was so cool because when I was a little kid, you know, we had to uh, hide all the cars and we had curtains that we had to stand in between cars and cover them up so that when show day came, we'd uncover them and everybody'd rush in and we'd have, you know, apple apples and, and cider and, and cookies, et cetera, for people to, to have and, and look at our new cars on show day because those were the days when every year the cars were different. Uh, like a 55 and a 56 and a 57 Chevy and a 58 Chevy. There's so much difference between each one of the models that people would become excited about the new styling. And that always was fun and, and people enjoyed it too. And we gave away yardsticks and we gave away uh, rain caps for the ladies. And uh, of course, you know, the bottle openers and bottle caps. Uh, there was many, many, many different things. And and it's very nice to people in the community when they're cleaning out grandma's house and they find some of these things, they bring them in and give them to me. And I appreciate that. Uh, I recently had somebody bring in a, a 1939 owner's manual and uh, it was quite a, 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 a nice owner's manual in very good shape and even showed you how to work on your car if it ever broke down, Wow! <laughs> which they don't show you that anymore because <laughs> it's all computers now. No, owner's manuals are not something that are very fu- much fun to read either. No, no, no. Well, that's wonderful. What was that? Just a little bit of trivia. What was the most expensive car you ever sold? Well, I sold a fellow from, uh, New Middletown, I sold him a $117,000 Corvette and he had, he had me drop ship it to his vacation home. And, uh, it was, you know, it had everything on it and it was a uh, one of a kind when he was, he and I were done, uh, checking this thing on the order, order sheet. He actually went to a computer to make sure that there wasn't another one like it in the world. And he went down to even changing the color of the calipers on the wheels uh, to be sure that there, nobody had ever had his burgundy car with yellow calipers, oh my goodness. which I, I asked him not to do that because it was like so uncoordinated, you know, with the color scheme. And he said, no, it's the only one in the world. That's what I want. I oh said, okay. Well, how long ago was that? Recently? Three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I have a neighbor who is very much into Corvettes, so <laughs> I had to ask that question. Yes. <laughs> well, it's it's been interesting. I, you've given me a lot of things to think about that I never even realized. I'm still thinking back in in the, when they first started about selling the cars out of a, a two cars at a time out of your house and everything. Yeah. It's amazing how much things have changed in oh, yeah. 98 years. So in two more years, we have a big party. Well, I'm, I'm kind of working on that idea. I think it would be great to have a hundred year celebration. Uh, hopefully everything will be uh, down to where it's a happy place to be and, and everybody will have a nice place to have it. Uh, as, as nice as the park is, maybe we'll have it at the park and uh-huh. invite everybody over and have baseball, hot dogs, apple pie and Chevrolet. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming today. This has been fun, hasn't it? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come. Um, You have a website, you know, 
or Chevy.com. Chevy.com. Yes. And you are still located at 57 East Martin. East Martin Street. And your phone number? It's 330-426-9449. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you, they know where you are. We're so old. We had at one time when we started a two-digit phone number. <laughs> I swear. And I have advertising that proves it. Well, I remember the garden, GA. GA6. Yeah, I remember oh, that yeah. much. But Yeah, we have them with two digits, three digits, four digits, and then it went up into the garden, you know, yeah. the GA. Yeah. And, uh, of course, now we have to dial the darn area code with everything and it takes quite a bit of time, but, you know, in comparison to what it used to be. But then, uh, you know, we, we enjoy the, the modernization of some of the contacts. And, of course, the online thing is good for everyone uh, and, you know, you're the expert on that. And uh, I uh, sometimes say I'm going to learn. Someday. <laughs> Someday when I get old. Yes. Don't get old. No. It just pick something and, and say, I'm going to do it. It'll be fun. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you stopping by to chat with me about this. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Tom for taking the time to stop and chat with me. Tom and his ancestors have demonstrated that a small town business can thrive and be active, be an active part of the community. For the past 98 years, they have focused on keeping Britain Motors alive and well, while also being a major supporter of many community projects and activities. On behalf of the East Palestine community, I want to thank them for the past 98 years of being here for the families of East Palestine. They are a cornerstone of our community and I wish them another 98 years of growth and success. I want to thank you all for listening. I have lots of interesting interviews lined up, so be sure and check out Claybrook Chats every Tuesday morning for my latest story about small town living. Thank you all and happy trails.